0: As you are settling in, our ushers are going to receive the offering this morning, and so they're going to come forward and take that. And then uh, I also want to mention this before I dive into the message. You know, a, a few weeks ago, uh, we just made a, an appeal. We felt this kind of move to say, um, with a bunch of refugees that are landing in our city over the next several weeks and maybe months, um, what can we do to, to be a response? I just want to tell you guys, it, we had such an overwhelming response from you. I think we have more volunteers to help out than we have refugees arriving in Portland at this point. So uh, you guys just are amazing. So. incredible. Uh, I was hanging out with a friend of mine who's just recently empty nested and he said, you know what? Our house is available. Like a family can move in with us. We've got space. And I was just blown away by that generosity. Um, Had another guy call this week and said, we have an extra house, uh, which I don't know who has an extra house laying around. Like, who are you when you have that? But I think they had plans for it, but they said, you know what? We were going to sell this thing, but can you just move a family into it for free and they can just live here? And uh, I just love hearing those stories. Yeah. So good. So Thank you. I, I, it's such a privilege to pastor a generous church, I, and I'm just so blown away by it, and I'm so blessed by you guys. So thank you for your, your generosity with your time and your energy and your resources. You guys are really amazing. But today we're continuing on in this series that we started several weeks ago. We're looking at First and Second Corinthians in kind of a jumbled up series called "A People in a Place." And uh, and we're looking at a portion of these letters today that um, can can be a little familiar if you're a church person. And this happens sometimes, right? When you're you open up your Bible, sometimes you open up your Bible and you see things and you go, "I didn't know that was in the Bible." Um, but then there's times if you've been around church for a while you 've been a Christian for a while you can turn to certain sections and go, "Oh yeah, I know this one this is familiar and you kind of you can kind of like check everything at the door now because it 's like well I know where we 're going to go but I want to challenge you this morning that even though this might be familiar we 're going to look at something that for some of you um, for some of you you 're going to have to see it a little bit differently than maybe you 've seen in the past and I hope that it awakens something inside of you that if you are familiar you would see things in a really new way um, for those of you that are maybe exploring Christianity and this isn't familiar, I think you're going to see something today that might surprise you. I think there are some things that are going to, there's going to be some boxes that get checked if you've got questions about Jesus and the church. In fact, you're probably going to see some things that you haven't heard people talk much about. We just sang about this, but we, you don't hear people talk about it, and it hasn't been exemplified much. In fact, uh, if I'm honest, and I um, that kind of goes with the gig here, I don't know if you know that, but... Uh, If I'm honest, uh, I think one of the reasons that those of you that are exploring faith, this may be unfamiliar in view is because I don't know that we've modeled this real well as the church. I don't know that we've exhibited this really well, and so you might find this really interesting. And then those of you that maybe you've just begun this journey with Jesus, I think there's some things here today that are gonna be great next steps, really a next step in your understanding of what it means to be a Jesus follower. So um, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna just read this. It's a pretty big chunk of scripture. I'm gonna read it, and then we're gonna start unpacking it together. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, no worries, because the words will be on the screen there, and you can follow along. But as you're opening up to First Corinthians 12, let me remind you that this letter has landed in the lap of this first century church in the city of Corinth, and they're trying to navigate, how do we live our faith out? How do we live out all the implications of the gospel in a pluralistic, complicated culture like ours. And the interesting thing is that that culture was eerily similar to the culture that we live in today. A few nuance of difference, but in the same way that they're receiving this, in the same way that they're trying to figure out how do we do this, we're doing the same. We're taking the text and we're saying, what does it look like for us to live our faith out in a pluralistic, complicated culture? How do we do that in the places where we live today? So I want to begin by reading and then we'll start unpacking this. Verse one says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffer, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, I want to elevate our understanding of this just for a moment this morning because I think historically, those of you that have been around the church, you know that oftentimes a passage like this one gets turned into nuts and bolts about who has what gifts and, and where do those gifts come from and what are you supposed to do with those gifts. In fact, I remember back in the 90s, you know, you got spiritual gifts tests that went online and people could go online and they could answer like nine questions and know what their spiritual gift was, which was just kind of, a, I still look at that and I think it's kind of an interesting thing. But I want to elevate the conversation and get kind of higher on the altitude than diving into those kinds of nuts and bolts here at the beginning. Uh, I want to look at this from the larger view and see what the Apostle Paul is is really communicating to us. And I want to start by saying this. I think that generally speaking, human beings have way more questions than than we let on. And I think part of that is that we live in a culture that really values certainty these days. Like, we really respect people who seem really sure. We really respect people who have a deep sense of certainty. And so as a result of that, I think when we're uncertain or when we have questions, we're a little more reticent to share those things. We sort of hide our cards just a little bit. And yet, I believe that human beings are asking lots of questions. In fact... This last week, I had the opportunity to see some um, unfinished footage of some man-on-the-street interviews that Alpha USA is going to be integrating next year, and they were man-on-the-street interviews that were done in New York, in Memphis, and in Los Angeles. And they were asking these people a series of questions, and one of the questions really stood out to me, and they said, if you knew that God existed and you could speak with God, what would you ask him? And so we got to see all these different responses in all these different places to the question, what would you ask God if you could? And it was such an honest glimpse at the kinds of things that I believe very real people question and, and, and wonder about. Several said they would ask God if they were doing it right, speaking of their life. Several of them said, I, I think I just want to know, am I, am I using my life the right way? One, one woman said, I think I just asked God, am I on the right track Others said they would ask God what comes after this. Like one guy, particularly said, "I want to know what the next chapter has. You know, like what's after this? In, you know, this ends." Um, there were obviously questions about pain. There were questions about suffering, but then there were questions about purpose and meaning. There was one person that said, "How can I make a difference in the world?" Now, what I think struck me the most was just how unsure so many of them were and how vulnerable they were with saying like these are real things that real people wrestle with and we have lots of questions about this life and how we're supposed to live it now um, obviously as you could probably expect i believe that the person of jesus and authentic christianity offer answers to those questions and i think they that jesus answers other questions that we ask Um, But I also think that the passage that we're just looking at, what I just read, offers more answers to the questions than we think it does, including an answer to another question that I think is a really legitimate one to ask, and that is this. What keeps Christianity from becoming stale and lifeless? That's an issue. Um, That's a very real question that I think we have to grapple with, because some people look at Christianity And they look at the church, and they conclude this is sort of a lifeless thing that's going on, right? Like the church is boring, or Christianity is boring. Christianity is is dead. Like they just kind of look at it with this perspective. And part of that, by the way, part of the reason they say that is due to the, the reality that there are folks on the inside of the church that actually feel the same way. Like our faith has grown kind of cold. It's grown kind of stagnant. So when people say, like, religion seems kind of dead, or church seems kind of stale and flat, we kind of go, well, it kind of feels that way because I'm feeling that way, right? Because that's something that we experience. But these verses in 1 Corinthians 12, they not only answer that question, but they also answer, I think, a lot of the questions that other people are asking in the world today. So I want us to go back at the beginning to verse one and two, and I want to just notice something that Paul says at the very start of this. Verse one, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So I want you to be informed about this. And then verse two, he says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Now, Paul's getting their attention, but he's also drawing a distinction. He's saying, listen, there was a life that you lived before you knew the person of Jesus, before you understood the gospel, before you were part of this whole thing. And then there was the life that you have now after you understand Jesus, after you understand the gospel, you have two different experiences. And he's drawing a contrast between these two things. And it's important that we see this. He says, before you were led by, you were led astray by mute Idols. And he uses the Greek word aphonos, which means no sound. Idols that made no sound. It means they were without speech. They didn't convey meaning. There was no message. That is life before the gospel. It just you just were led by things that didn't actually speak to you. They didn't convey meaning to you. You worship gods that didn't talk. That language actually, it sort of reveals something that was at the heart of a sermon that he preached in Acts chapter 17. The apostle Paul was traveling in the city of Athens and in Athens, they had all of these altars and idols to these different gods. And and Paul notices while he's visiting there that there's one particular idol that has the inscription to an unknown God because the Athenians wanted to cover all their bases. They were like, we want to worship all the gods, but just in case we missed one, we don't want to make him angry. And so we have this altar to the God we haven't found yet. Paul notices that and in his sermon He references their search of God like groping in the darkness. He says, you grope around in the darkness. Why? Because you have mute idols. It's like searching for someone or something blindfolded. That's what he's describing. Mute idols. They don't talk. They don't direct. They don't offer feedback. But remember, this is a contrast, right? He's saying that was then... And this is now. So if before, if before you weren't experiencing speaking, if you were experiencing silence, if, if before there was no meaning being conveyed, he's saying now there's something completely the opposite of that. Well, what's the opposite of that? Well, that means there is speech. That means there is sound. That means there is, there is meaning that's being conveyed. There is direction that's being offered to you. So, right here in this moment, the Apostle Paul is drawing a distinction that I believe breathes new life into our understanding of Christianity. In fact, if you you rewind into into the ministry of Jesus, there's there's some really critical things that Jesus says. There's one particular night, um, it's the night that Jesus is betrayed by Judas, that that he has a conversation with his disciples that has radical implications on what we're talking about here. Um, We don't know where this conversation happened. We know it's probably sometime around the upper room when they were eating the last supper together. It could have been walking the, the streets in the cool of the night as they were going to the Garden of Gethsemane. It may have been right before Jesus began praying in the garden, right before his His betrayal. But whatever the case is, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, hey, there's some things that are about to change. Some things are about to get really different. And and I know you're going to have cause for concern. And in fact, I'm going to be leaving you. But then he says this, he makes them a promise in John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, and then listen to what he says. For he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Jesus promises the spirit of God. And I know maybe some of you have gotten used to this because you've been around the church so long, maybe too long for that matter, but Jesus, I don't know if you can be too long, but you know what I'm saying, but Jesus just promised God's spirit would be known by us and he would dwell in us. Jesus said that. And then a few days later, Jesus tells those same disciples, he says, I want you to wait to receive the spirit. And in Acts chapter two, we read about the day of Pentecost when God's spirit is poured out and Jesus's promise is fulfilled. And so now a radical new dimension has been opened for us through which we encounter God himself. Now we encounter God in an entirely new way that's what Jesus is revealing to us. And he's been alluding to this all along. There's a conversation that he has with the woman at the well in John chapter four, and they're they're discussing all sorts of things. And then Jesus, in the middle of this back and forth dialogue, says this in verse 23. He says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is what? Spirit And those who worship him, worship him where? In spirit and in truth. You can see this merger that's taking place here. You can have truth. You can have truth, but that's only half the equation. And if you only have half the equation, well, then you might as well be pursuing a mute idol because you're going to wander around blindfolded. Jesus is saying, listen, the alive ones, the awakened ones, They interact with God in spirit and in truth. That's what he's telling them. And and I think this interaction, I think this interplay, this reality that the spirit of God dwells among us and is in us is a critical puzzle piece that's missing from so much of our lives. And that's what the heart of the Apostle Paul is with these Corinthians. As he's talking to them, he's saying, listen, you need to know the Spirit was promised. The Spirit was given. And now it's up to you to live a life that is driven by the Spirit of God. That is in your hands. Uh, Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, or CRU today is what it's known as. and, And he said this. He said, somehow we've gotten the idea that the early Christians were different from us. That they possessed a quality of life to which we cannot attain. But it is a fact of history that the people to whom Jesus gave his great commission were common, ordinary, working people, plagued with the same weaknesses that we have. The only difference between most of them and the majority of us is that two outstanding things happened to them. First, they had complete confidence in a resurrected Lord triumphant over death, one who lived within them and was coming again to reign on the earth. And second, they were filled with the Holy Spirit." See, here, here's the mystery, and I use that word intentionally. We are completely human. Every one of us, we're all human. And yet, we are more than human because of God's Spirit dwelling inside of us. Yes, you're human, but there's also something beautiful and something unique about you. There's something unique about you and about you and about me. There's something unique. Because we are spiritual beings and God's spirit dwells within us. And that means we're different. But until we realize that, it's kind of like having a lamp in your living room you never turn on, right? What good is it? (laughs) If it never illuminates the room. It's like having a car you never drive. What good is it, right? What good is it knowing that the spirit of God has been given if we don't actually walk a life that's filled with the spirit where we're letting him lead us? You can have the spirit But if you're not walking in, being filled with, listening for, being prompted by the Spirit of God, then what's the point of this? And and, and here's what I think is ironic. I know this sounds very mystical, and for some of us, we're way more comfortable with this than others are. Others in the room, you're like, yeah, this is when Christianity gets weird. But but here's here's what's interesting about this. We live in a culture right now that is obsessed with demystifying everything. We're focused on the material, and I don't mean materialism, I just mean material. We're focused on the physical world. And yet, even in a world where we have de-emphasized anything spiritual, our poets and our movie makers and our storytellers are consistently telling stories where we seem to be tipping into to something that is supernatural we tell stories where there's supernatural th- types of things taking place why is that because resident in the human soul is this understanding that we are more than physical and so right here even though it manifests in all those places in, in fiction right here in christianity it's embedded in reality it is central to the christian faith this beautiful mystery of god in you so that's first. That's why I want to elevate this and say, Paul Paul wants people to understand the spirit of God is in you. And then he begins to elaborate on this reality, he begins to talk about the gifts and these abilities. And when he talks about gifts, we're not talking presents at Christmas. We're talking about talents and skills and, and those things that are utilized. And I think it's really important to remember when Paul's writing, he's confronting things, he's confronting misconceptions, problems that existed in their understanding or their working out of their faith. And so he actually confronts a couple of things that become really evident when you read a couple more verses. So verses 14 and 15 and then 20 and 21, listen to this. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Then a few verses later, verse 20, he says, As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, it's really easy for us to conclude that Paul is confronting two attitudes that existed in the Corinthian church. From what we can see, there's two problems, and here's what's fascinating. Um, These problems aren't just prevalent in that church. I think they're prevalent in church culture, culture today. So so let's just talk about this. Some people in the city of Corinth, they were viewing themselves as independent or disconnected members of the church. And and there might be a variety of reasons for that. It might be a variety of reasons in our culture today that there are times when you just think, yeah, I'm not really a part, I kinda come in, I go out, I drift in, drift out. I'm not really a part of this whole thing. Like If you knew me and you knew my story, you'd know that like I should be on the fringe, I shouldn't really be a part of this thing. There were some people that believed that, that they were independent. And then there were others still that were emphasizing and establishing a hierarchy around certain gifts because they were more visible manifestations of God's work. So, like, if that gift was present in you and you do that thing, well, then you must be more spiritual. You must be higher than the rest of us. And so they were developing a hierarchy in their thinking about the church. But Paul stops them in their tracks. And he is painstakingly clear regarding both of these things. And there's a head on collision with our culture in this. We have a culture of independence and we have a culture of celebrity. We tend to go it alone. We tend to think I'm not worthy or I'm not really a big part of that. Or we tend to elevate certain people in our view. Paul says, wait, wait, no, stop. There's no place for that because the moment that you believe that you're not connected, the moment you believe you can be independent in this thing, the moment that you believe that somebody who stands on a stage is more important than somebody who sits in the pew, the moment you begin to believe that, you undermine the very essence of who you are. Why? Well, he says it over and over and over again. This word is used over. He says, you are the Soma of Christ. The Greek word he uses for body is the word soma, and it's this word to describe a person in their entirety. You are the physical manifestation of Jesus in this world. That's what he's telling us, which translates to something, again, that I think is mystical and and, and beautiful. We collectively have the opportunity to be the physical expression of Jesus in this world. That's what he's talking about. In fact, when we connect the dots with what he was saying earlier, with with the spirit of God being given to us, we realize that's the very reason the spirit of God was given to us so that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus. Not so that we would have euphoric experiences of worship, but so that we would actually be Jesus to a watching world. So we might be an activated appendage of the body of Christ, if you will. And I think there's something revealing in this too. There's something also um, that lightens the load in this. I mentioned that on purpose because I think some of us hear this and we take this very seriously and we feel the pressure. I'm the, I mean, I'm the body of Jesus and I have to be the hands and feet of Jesus and you wake up, and you know, how in the world am I gonna be Jesus every day? Like if you knew me, you'd know that's a tough thing, right? And so we wonder that. And maybe you think I can't do what Jesus did. How am I supposed to be Jesus? And the answer is you can't. But we can, collectively. We do this collectively. You know, last Sunday, if you were here and a part of our service, we closed the service with a video of my friend Katie who um, this whole pandemic was working with a group of high school seniors and helped them get graduated and off to college and their next steps in life. And, and, uh, and I just, I, I sat back and I just watched in awe and I thought, man, I wish I could be like Katie. There's a part of me that I see things that she does and her heart and her attitude. And I'm like, man, I wish I could be like Katie. But you know what? I'm not. Katie's Katie. And last time I checked, I'm Brad. Which by the way, You're not Brad, you're you, right? And you don't wanna do what I do, right? I mean, most of you would get sick and throw up if you got up here and tried to do what I do, right? And usually I kind of feel like doing that too, right? You don't wanna be a public speaker, that's not something you enjoy, right? Because you're you and I'm me. Like over the years, people come to me and they say, Brad, can I meet with you? Like I really need some counsel on something. Guys, I'm a horrible counselor. I'm horrible, you know why? Because I talk for a living and counselors listen for a living, right? I'm not gifted to listen. I'm gifted to talk. So if you want to come to me for counseling, don't, right? You're just going to end up in a mess. Come to church on Sunday, and then I'll give you what I've got, right? And it takes me a week to put together 30 minutes. That's how bad I am at that. So so the reality is we all bring our own gifts to the table. We all bring our own things to the table. And Paul says, listen, you don't go it alone. You're not alone in this. And he says, don't prioritize one over the other. If you do that, you'll have a really awkward body of Christ. That's what he says, right? It's like the dude at the gym that only works out arms. You've seen that guy, right? You don't want a church that looks like that guy. Are you with me on this? Which means everything boils down to this. You receive the spirit so that you can deliver Jesus to the world. You receive the spirit so that you can be the eyes and the hands and the feet of Jesus. So you can redistribute the life of God that has been given to you to the people that are around you. That's the reason you've been given the Spirit. The Spirit of God, remember, Paul is saying he is not a mute idol. The Spirit of God is going to lead you. The Spirit of God is going to direct you. The Spirit of God is going to work through you. You know, in the Bible, I'm going to close with this. I just want to describe this because I think sometimes we don't really understand this. But when the Bible talks about walking in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit, it means that we are living with an openness to the Spirit communicating to us and using us in our circumstances. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Uh, In fact, maybe a better way to, to understand this is to say, walking in the Spirit is allowing our lives to be used for spiritual purposes, to express spiritual things, to extend kingdom realities. It means that when we go through a day that looks like a lot of other people's day, there's a second dimension that we're operating in. There's a second reality that we're aware of. Right? We're doing the things like getting gas and grabbing coffee and going to the grocery store, but there's also an underlying reality that we're moving through those activities with an openness. That is our distinction. In fact, when we are called holy, when, when the Bible describes the church as set apart, as holy ones, that's why we're holy. That's why we're set apart. It isn't that we're cleaner than everybody else. It's that we're more aware than everybody else. It's that we're paying attention to the Spirit of God and we're saying, as I move into this situation, is there something that I need to say? Or is there something that I need to do? Or is there something That this person needs from me that no one else is gonna do unless they listen to the Spirit of God. That's what we do. That's how we move. That's how we operate. So when you walk into that coffee shop and you're hurrying to that meeting at work and you run into somebody you haven't seen for 15 years and there's that little nudge in your emotions, there's that little nudge in your feelings, there's that little voice in your ear that says, This isn't an accident. There's this sense of just stopping and saying, this might be a holy moment where this person needs to hear something from me. It's that sensitivity. It's that awareness. And then here's the beautiful thing. When you open your life to what I'm describing, when you activate the spirit of God in your own life, when you consider yourself an appendage of the body of Jesus, and you go, I'm actually a part of this thing, you become the answer to so many of the questions that people are asking in the world. In fact, you become the answer to some of your own questions. Why am I here? Am I on the right track? How can I make a difference in the world? The answer is life in the spirit. The answer is Realizing you're a part of the body of Christ. Life with an awareness that you and I are a part of this thing called the soma of Jesus. The physical expression of Jesus in the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm going to offer the benediction this morning. If you're comfortable holding out your hands to receive it, I offer this to you today. May you be men and women who are not weird, but may you be different. And may you open your life to the spirit of God. And may you answer the questions that people are asking in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys so much. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for being with us. Please feel free to hang out, meet some friends, ask any questions at our resource counter out there.